Oliver Tatum is a paramedic and a registered nurse who works with frontline clinicians as manager of primary care clinics in Bend and Lapine. He was elected to serve on the Central Oregon Community College Board of Directors and the Deschutes Rural Fire Protection District Board. Oliver grew up in rural Deschutes County and lives in Bend with his wife, Amy, and two children. This conversation is being recorded on September 23rd, 2022. Oliver Tatum, welcome to the Radical Songbook Podcast. Michael, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. I really appreciate it. Um, on your campaign website, you talk about how uh, Deschutes County has changed a lot since you were a kid growing up here. Can you start out by just amplifying on that and maybe talking about what you see as positive changes and what you see as things that concern you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, my parents moved over here from Canby um, outside of Portland uh, when I was 18 months old. Um, actually, before then, my father actually died when I was 18 months old. So they bought the property out in rural Deschutes County uh, 1980. And back then, you know, the streets in our neighborhood weren't paved. I remember when cable TV came in when I was in uh, middle school, and that was a big deal. And it was a it was a little timber town at the time. Um, and there's aspects of that that I really miss, right? Um, when I was in high school, I don't remember a lot of disparity between um, students based on the economic situation that their parents experienced. You know, I certainly knew that there were kids I went to school with who whose parents maybe had a bigger house than mine or a smaller house than mine, but there there wasn't quite the, the economic divide um, that you see today, certainly between the, the east and west side of Bend or between um, areas of the county. But it was a small town and fairly parochial at the time. And when I graduated Bend High in 97, I, I thought I was putting Central Oregon in the rearview mirror and never to return other than visit mom. And we did that. My uh, The woman who is now my wife, Amy, um, we met in college and uh, would come back to visit a couple of times a year over the summer and over the holidays. And maybe because we were growing up, maybe because Central Oregon was growing up. I think it's probably a combination of the two, but as we'd come home and visit my mom and her partner, we we really began to realize how special this place is and how lucky I was to grow up here. And when we got married and started thinking long-term, um, in terms of having kids and starting a family and building a life together, realized that... Southern California was never going to be home for us, even though my wife grew up um, in North San Diego County. That area had changed a lot. Her town had gone from a small rural town to essentially a suburb of San Diego. And uh, we we knew that, that uh, Deschutes County is where we wanted to raise our kids. Um, it took us a while to figure out how to make that happen. Um, rather circuitous path with my wife going to grad school back on the East Coast, me transitioning into a new career first as a paramedic and more recently as a nurse. But we were able to move home in 2014 and 
And certainly the communities of Central Oregon have changed. Um, they've grown quite a bit. It's, uh, it's uh, amazing to me going out and knocking on doors and being in neighborhoods that didn't exist uh, even a few years ago, let alone when I was growing up. Um, in terms of the good, I appreciate the fact that we have world-class restaurants, entertainment venues. Uh, I love that the old mill has become the old mill. Um, and I, I enjoy the fact that we do have a more diverse community with different voices and different ideas and different backgrounds and experiences. I think that makes for a richer community. That said, we have lost some of the small town charm. Um, it's, you know, Bend in particular, uh, you know, has this reputation of be nice. And yet, um, I think, uh, and some of this is just exacerbated in the last couple of years and all the stressors of the pandemic, but, um, there's less kindness now. And I think that part of that comes with just, uh, growing community and, and fewer personal ties with the people you're interacting with on the roads or in your business. But, um, and then with the skyrocketing housing prices and folks being pushed out essentially where they can't afford to live here, but they can't afford to move and they end up living on the street or in the forest. And that can be unsafe for those around them. It can be unsafe for them. And that's not something I remember seeing growing up here. You know, they always described Bend and some of the smaller communities as poverty with a view. And so there's been a, a push over the last couple of decades to diversify the economy and bring in jobs. And I think we've been really successful at that, but our social infrastructure really hasn't kept pace. And so while we've solved some of the old challenges of, of, uh, uh, creating an economy that is resilient and where you can have good paying jobs. Um, even the best paying jobs folks are having a hard time just keeping up with the cost of living. And, um, and you see that, uh, you see that in town and you see that in the surrounding areas. And that's, that's something I'm, I'm hoping we can change for the better. So, um, with all that in mind, why have you decided uh, to run for the county commission? For me, the primary motivation is really healthcare. Uh, health services is the largest department at Deschutes County, and that includes um, public health, behavioral health, and direct clinical services. It's the largest department, both in terms of budget and in terms of the number of employees. Um, Deschutes County has about 1,200 positions. Many of them are unfilled at present, but of those 400 are health services employees, and it's a $60 million-plus budget. Um, and it has enormous potential to positively influence our community. Um, the, the folks that work in our health services do really great things, and I think a lot of our a lot of the a lot of the residents in Deschutes County, they may not even be aware of the services offered and the work being done. Although those that are really in need, particularly on the behavioral health side, um, they may be aware of of how strained and stretched that department is. And 
it's at the point now where folks say that it's hard to access services unless you're um, experiencing very acute crisis, and and that's hard on on those on those folks who who maybe not be may not be quite in crisis mode, but um, are headed that way, and they need the help to to get stabilized before it gets to gets to a crisis. Um, and on public health. I think a lot of us are are more aware of public health after uh, experiencing this pandemic for the last two plus years. But public health is about so much more than COVID. Um, infectious diseases of all types, particularly STDs, have long been a focus of public health in terms of surveilling them and, and trying to prevent them. But Public health is also about um, helping new moms and dads learn to be um, good parents and raise their babies and their kids to be healthy. Um, it's about uh, injury prevention. Um, I mean, if you take a really broad lens, you know, we need to even look at things like our transportation system and ways that we can uh, encourage good health in terms of making it easier for people to walk or bike, but also in terms of making our roads safer so that people aren't um, experiencing injury from uh, motor vehicle collision. And then there's also uh, chronic disease prevention and management. Um, historically, they've had programs that help people that are on the uh, on the cusp of, of being diagnosed with diabetes and, and um, providing education on the lifestyle changes that they can make in terms of increasing activity and uh, changing diets so that folks aren't needing to go on metformin or insulin or um, heading down the path toward uh, kidney disease and um, stroke and heart disease and some of the other really devastating outcomes of diabetes if it's um, not well managed. So for me, having begun my career in healthcare as a, an EMT and paramedic and seeing people really experiencing some of the worst days of their life and knowing that that injury or that illness was preventable, it's a big reason why I went back to school to become a nurse and seeing what our health services at the county is able to do um, because they do, they have extraordinary people in those teams, but they they don't have the support that I think they deserve from at least two of the um, commissioners. Imagining what they could do with that support, and it's not just in terms of money, because our resources are finite, but um, being able to to tap into that potential and really do more for our community and and help prevent people from experiencing chronic disease and, and injury that ends up um, making it harder for them to work or uh, adding to the, the cost of our overall healthcare system. That's what really drew me to this, um, particularly last summer um, when we were facing uh, what would be um, one of our our most devastating waves of, of COVID when the Delta wave was coming. And and our director of health services at the time uh, went to the county commissioners when um, the mandates of the state level have, had been lifted, and and uh, they the health services staff asked our county commissioners. You know, they said, "Hey, we see what this Delta variant is doing uh, in Europe and on the East Coast, and it's coming here, and we'd really like you as." 
community leaders and as the folks who um, oversee our public health authority to recommend these basic public health measures like masks and vaccines. And uh, Tony DeBone and Patty Adair, they refused to do that. And um, a little over a month later, uh, the county was chipping in to help St. Charles get a refrigerated truck because their morgue was overwhelmed. And I, I see that that continues uh, well into this year. You know, just earlier this year, the health services staff went to the county commissioners and they said, you know, we've got these limited duration positions uh, to hire nurses for COVID response, and uh, we have only been given the authority to post them as six-month limited duration positions, but we're having a hard time filling those. We'd like them to be year-long positions. We've got the money coming in from Oregon Health Authority to pay for these positions, but we need your permission to make these year-long positions so we can actually recruit people into them and, and fill them. Um, as we continue to navigate our way through what we hope is the end stage of this pandemic. And um, my opponent, Tony DeBone uh, and Patty Adair, they uh, were very dismissive and said, well, isn't COVID pretty much over? It's just a sniffle. Uh, you know, is anybody even dying at this point? And, and I, that hit me pretty hard because I was watching the video of this meeting um, the same week that um, uh, the veterinarian who's taking care of my dogs for years, Dr. Quinn, um, we were, um, we had just attended the memorial service for her 26 year old son who died of a pulmonary embolism after he contracted COVID. And it's because he, um, he had fallen victim to some of the misinformation about vaccines and to watch, uh, to watch Tony laugh. He, he literally laughed at the idea of anybody dying from COVID at this point. Um, it just reinforced to me how important it is to have leaders who understand how our healthcare system works and, and what we need to do to educate folks and provide the information they need to make good decisions and also to lead with compassion and to understand that even though you may not feel that COVID or influenza or syphilis or even diabetes may not be a threat to you personally, but it is devastating lives of people in this community and that deserves compassion. So on your, your website, your campaign website, healthcare is one of the four primary issues that you that you list. You also uh, list there, ha you have housing, water, and wildfire prevention. So what are your concerns about these issues and what solutions uh, and new ideas do you, do you want to offer on the county commission? Sure. So for housing, this is not something that I ever anticipated <laughs> looking back on my career that would be something that I would um, have uh, a deep interest in, um, just not something that has been in my wheelhouse. And yet, when we look at the challenges facing our communities, so much of it comes back to the fact that it is increasingly difficult um, and nearing impossible for regular folks 
to live here because of the high cost of housing. And ultimately, that's because we just don't have enough. We don't have enough homes of all types. Um, we don't have enough apartments. We don't have enough condominiums. We don't have enough duplexes. And we don't have enough single-family homes. And the reasons behind that are complex and multifactorial. Uh, many of it, much of it goes back to the um, financial crisis of the last decade and, and the fact that we lost so many so many people that did the work of building homes. And um, of course, the rules around lending got a lot tighter, so it was harder for folks to buy homes. Um, and then, you know, we, uh, we always tend to, um, uh, we, we don't want to repeat our, our last crisis. So um, in order to not overbuild our supply and having another housing crash, I think uh, we might have erred on the side of being too conservative in how we're building and meeting the demand for for housing here. Uh, they say, our state economists say that we are short across the state of Oregon by 110,000 housing units. And, and so when we look and see these folks that are now living um, unsheltered or um, very tenuously sheltered because they're moving from friend's house to friend's house or they're living in a little camper, out in the woods, much of that is due to the fact that they just can't afford to live here and they can't afford to move. And um, even if they could afford to move, uh, this this problem is um, across the country. And so anything that we want to do, any of the problems that we want to solve here, um, whether it's addressing our staffing crises, uh, which as a clinic manager I'm experiencing every day, it's, it's near impossible to hire new medical assistants because <laughs> they can't afford to live here. Um, and, uh, and that impacts patient care. Uh, I think a lot of folks are experiencing that today, trying to get their prescriptions refilled at the local pharmacy because it's hard to get pharmacy techs. Uh, our schools are having a hard time keeping the buses running because it's hard to hire bus drivers. And, um, and that's not, all because of the price of housing, but that's a major factor in the fact that it's it's hard for a lot of the a lot of the folks doing these jobs to be able to move here and accept those positions because the the housing is has become completely detached from wages and you can't make enough to to afford um, what uh, what rents are now or what mortgages are now and so. If, if we want to continue to make this uh, a community that families like mine can live and work, um, because ultimately, I, I want my kids, after they've grown up and had the opportunity to go out and see a little bit of the world like I did and like my wife did, I hope they're going to realize how lucky they were. I hope they're going to realize how lucky they were to have grown up here and that they might also choose to return here and raise their own family here. But at the rate we're going, if things don't change, if we don't change this trajectory, that won't be open to them. They won't be able to. This will be another another community like Santa Barbara or Boulder, Colorado, that's just become um, out of reach for most normal folks, um, making a, working at an average job and making a, an average living. Um, and that's that's not the community I grew up in, and it's not the community that I envision for us. And 
the only way to make this a livable community is to make sure that we have enough housing for the people that want to live here. So what specifically would do you think the county commission should be doing um, to make that happen? Frankly, most of the housing needs to be built within our city limits. Um, and I think it's important for, um, for us to see a change on the county commission so that we're acknowledging that fact as opposed to continuing, as my opponent does, to say, oh, we could magically fix this housing crisis if the state would just gut our land use system and allow us to build out into the rural county. Um, you know, Tony likes to talk about the fact that the Los Angeles basin, um, there are 12 million people that live there. And why can't we do the same here? And uh, I don't want to sacrifice what what we all love about living here, which is that open space that surrounds us, our farms and forests and natural deserts. Um, but by continuing to insist that that is the only path forward, then we're not working collaboratively with our cities and with the state to make sure that we're making the best use of the land that currently exists within our cities and, um, and then being strategic about how we expand the urban growth boundaries. Because that's the flip side of the land use system that we have. Yes, it limits our ability to sprawl, which I think is good, but it also says that cities do have to look out into the future, project how many people they expect to move here or to create new households and grow accordingly. And that involves strong collaboration between cities and counties and being on the same page and sharing the same vision. And I would love to see Bend, for instance, realize its vision for the Bend Central District where we can accommodate so many more homes um, if, we can, if we can get the wherewithal to, to, to make it possible for our um, developers to be able to do what they do well and create that additional housing. But of course, one of the major obstacles is the fact that there are so many people living unhoused within the city and we need to build housing so that those folks have a place to live, but we also need to build shelters, uh, low barrier, high barrier, places for them to go, alternatives for them to go, because we're not going to see that development in Bend Central District when developers are scared off by the fact that there are people living in tents on 2nd Street. And the cities are doing their best to try to create shelter space so that there are alternatives for some of these folks to go. But the county can play a much bigger role in that as well. And the county has to play a role, given that they are the service provider um, and, made, and the major hub for where our nonprofit service providers interact, um, it, both in our behavioral health and our public health and our health services, um, plus some of the other administrative functions of the county, like veteran services and intellectual and developmental disability services. So there's a big role for the county in that regard. There's also the fact that the county owns quite a bit of land, um, both surrounding our cities and within our cities. And from what I have seen, the county commission with its current makeup is really reacting and sort of haphazardly um, on one-off basis as they're approached without any real strategy or vision behind how they want to use the land to address some of these problems. Um, you know, they'll, they'll give land to 
they'll donate land to one organization and then they'll turn around and try to sell another parcel for market rate. Uh, I was particularly frustrated when um, they uh, they made the city of Bend pay nearly a million dollars out of their affordable housing fund um, for a uh, parcel of land that uh, Housing Works is going to build on um, here near the hospital. When uh, and and the explanation from the uh, the incumbents uh, was that they wanted that money for uh, to put toward the courthouse expansion, and I understand the need for funds to to support that capital project. It is an important project, and we do need to move forward with it. But that's nearly a million dollars that the city or Housing Works could have put toward creating additional affordable housing units and I think that's a that's a wasted opportunity um, but I also think we we can look beyond just selling and donating land uh, you know as you mentioned at the top of, of this um, conversation I serve on the board of directors for Central Oregon Community College and um, we have partnered with William Smith properties the developer of the old mill district um, to develop some of the land owned by the college, and uh, it's called the, the um, Campus Village uh, Project. And it's been years in the making, but we, we are finally seeing real progress getting made. Uh, there was an area of land that uh, 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 builder Curtis Holmes has, um, is uh, putting, I think the first phase is somewhere around 16 homes, each of which has an ADU. And then uh, Neighborly Ventures, um, which is a, a development company out of the valley, um, is uh, has just broken ground on a um, multifamily uh, housing project that uh, will, uh, when it's done, provide 180 new housing units. And then we, we just, at our last meeting, um, voted in favor of moving forward with phase two, which will bring on another uh believe 60 some units and those are market rate granted they're not affordable housing so to speak in a technical sense but we need more affordable i mean we need more um, market rate housing as well um, because if we're not building housing units across the spectrum across the continuum then we're we're never going to meet the demand and prices are only going to continue to go up so I would love to see the county do, um, you know, approach its land holdings more creatively and think about. Um, so the the Neighborly Ventures project that I'm I was just talking about with the the new apartments being built near the college, that land will continue to be owned by the college, and so it's a long term lease. And every year that generates revenue for the college uh, when the entire project is done. That's um, those two apartment buildings, it's somewhere near $300,000 a year that uh, is additional revenue for the college that it can put towards supporting its students. And that's the college's mission. Uh, the county's mission is different. So what could we do if we were to partner with, um, with builders to uh, create leasing opportunities or um, you know, I'd also love to look at some of the work that Katie Brooks, who's the executive director or CEO of the Ben Chamber, um, did in her previous role uh, when she worked at the Port of Vancouver. And they did some really creative things uh, developing their land as well and maintaining ownership of the land, but working with partners to create you know, commercial and industrial and residential space while also generating revenue for the port. And I think the county can do 
a lot of interesting things with the land that it does if it um, if we have leaders that expand the vision a little bit. So two other issues that you talk about on your site, your website, are are water and uh, wildfire prevention, and they're they're kind of linked, kind of but but also obviously separate issues as well. Yeah, I think the link there is really uh, that they're both driven by climate change. Um, we we have been talking about climate change coming for years, and we are seeing that it is here now, and we're experiencing it. We're experiencing it in declining precipitation and snowpack, um, which is contributing to our drought and the fact that uh, wells are running dry and farmers are really struggling, particularly north of us in Jefferson County because they have junior water rights. And we are seeing fires that are much more destructive um, you know, I lost my childhood home to wildfire. Ours was one of the 19 homes that burned in the skeleton fire in 1996. And so wildfire prevention is an issue that's um, really dear to my heart. And it's why I serve on Deschutes County Project Wildfire Steering Committee. It's why I serve on our rural fire district board, uh, because I want to make sure that we are really doing everything we can to prevent anyone from experiencing the sort of loss that I experienced. And yet because of climate change, the fires now are, I mean, it, they're not just burning a few homes in a neighborhood, they're destroying entire communities. And so even though after the Skeleton Fire and the Aubrey Hall Fire in the 90s, uh, Deschutes County became really a leader in fire prevention efforts, those fires have gotten so much bigger and so much more threatening that we need to do more um, to be uh, protecting our communities. And when I say that, what I mean is, you know, right now, a lot of our fuel reduction efforts, um, meaning, you know, uh, encouraging private property owners to clear brush, particularly um, in the immediate zones around their home or their business and create defensible space um, and, and, uh, and trim some of the limbs or trees so that they're less vulnerable to an ember landing on them and then igniting and ultimately igniting the, the structure. A lot of that is depending on the personal responsibility of individual homeowners. Um, and there are grants available. And I went through this process with my own neighborhood uh, in the last year because uh, it's been 25, now 26 years since the skeleton fire and a lot of that brush has grown up. And so um, we did organize this neighborhood. We don't have an HOA, so we, it, we had to do the painstaking work of going door to door and, and getting neighbors involved and uh, come together and become a firewise recognized neighborhood that allowed us to then be competitive when we applied for a grant from the county. But what I what I learned in that process is that it really um, that process really favors neighborhoods that have the means and the wherewithal to do that, and there are there are a lot of folks living throughout our county, particularly in the rural areas, that um, because of age or physical disability or limited income, it's very hard for them to be able to do the things that they need to do in order to get those matching grants. And I look at communities like Flagstaff where they have um, an actual crew that over the summer might be a wildland firefighting crew, but during the, the off season, they're out there actively removing some of these flammable fuels to reduce the, the risk to the community. And um, I know our 
county forester had been looking at how the county might be able to work with our fire districts and departments to create that sort of capacity to do that. And then COVID sort of put all of that work on hold. And then, unfortunately, the county forester, uh, as well as the fire adapted communities coordinator from our natural resources department, both left the county. And uh, at present, we have no natural resources department at Deschutes County because they've lost their two staff members. Um, and we, we need to rebuild that department. And uh, I think we need to, to expand it a little bit or or leverage our relationship with the uh, Deschutes Soil and Water Conservation District that's also doing some fire prevention work and as well as with our fire districts and really get back on track to uh, to looking at how we can do even more to protect our community from wildfire. On the water piece, the the county, um, it has a very limited role in water. Uh, water is very heavily regulated by the state and the federal government, um, and the irrigation districts have a huge role in that. The county has very little that it can do in terms of regulating or managing water. Where I think the county does have a very important role is in uh, land use and how it encourages or steers development outside of our cities. Because when you look at how the water is used, um, you know, and it, it, the figures sort of depend on whether you count the water that uh, remains in our streams and rivers or whether you're only looking at the water that's diverted out. But depending on how you look at it, the municipal water use is between two and eight percent of all the water used in a Deschutes Basin. So cities of Bend, Redmond, Lapine, Sisters, including all the golf, golf courses within them, they're using two to eight percent of the water. The rest of the water, the vast majority of it, 80 percent and more, is going into irrigation to our farms. And where that water is being used to grow food or to sustain livestock, um, that's important. I mean, that that is a, a, a very important element of our community's economy and our lifestyle. But a lot of that water is lost in transit. It's lost as it seeps into the ground through these historic canals, uh, as it's evaporated, or just the really inefficient 100-year-old um, irrigation techniques on the farms. And the county has, has been able to pass through some federal funds, through uh, ARPA dollars and other other money that the federal government has allocated to us to help um, farmers uh, adopt some of the, the, the more efficient irrigation techniques that you know our, our friends up in Jefferson County have sort of been forced to adopt because their water is rationed so much more tightly. But some of the irrigation districts down here have been more proactive about getting the funds necessary to adopt more on-farm efficiencies and um, um, prevent water loss through the piping of canals. But the other thing the county can do, the lever that we can pull, is to prevent uh, additional development in our rural county that is outside of the municipal water delivery systems that are so efficient. What I don't want to see, for instance, is um, you know 700 acres of uh, farm and, and rangeland turned into 70. 10-acre lots or parceled even further into home sites that have each have a ground well that um, is pumping water that isn't measured and is very inefficient and contributing to 
the neighbors that have been there for years, um, seeing their wells run dry and then having to find the money to redrill their wells and increase the hardship they're already experiencing because our water levels are dropping. So I think the county can be more intentional about how it works with our cities to accommodate the need for additional housing without doing <laughs> without just opening the floodgates and and uh, encouraging sprawl and additional groundwater wells in our rural county that only exacerbates our water issues. I, I want to move on um, to some other issues here. Um, what, what's your opinion on the psilocybin therapy and um, that was approved by voters in Deschutes County as well as across Oregon, of course, and the county commission's decision to two members of the commission to ask Deschutes County voters if they want to opt out of the program? I think psilocybin shows tremendous potential as um, a method of therapy, particularly for folks who've experienced profound trauma, um, and that's really important in our veterans community, um, as well as for people who experience uh, depression that uh, has not responded to other treatments. A lot of the evidence that we've seen coming out of um, uh, folks who are researching this, uh, you know, Johns Hopkins has, has been a leader on this. Um, we see that it can be really effective. And uh, and that does not mean that we just open up shops and sell mushrooms to anybody who comes in and wants to use them. We're not talking about recreational use. We're talking about therapeutic use uh, with uh, folks who are trained to administer and um, and provide guidance to their their patients or their clients and i think it's important that we offer this to folks who might benefit from it um, in ways that are that are well managed and that was put to a vote and deschutes county voted in favor of allowing this um, and for whatever reason to as you mentioned two of our county commissioners decided that they wanted to send this back to voters and it's not clear to me why they decided to do this. It's clearly uh, beyond the fact that it's clearly political. Um, you know, maybe they're hoping that, uh, that because this is a midterm election and turnout will be slightly different, maybe it will go a different way and then they can stop it. I'm not sure why they would want to stop it, but it seems to me like a profound waste of taxpayer dollars and staff time to go back out and ask voters to vote again on something they have already voted in favor of. Um, you know, my opponent uh, said in a, another interview that uh, the reason why he's supporting this is because he thinks it'll be a good opportunity to do some marketing and educate people on what this is about. I, I don't understand that. If they want to do a marketing campaign, do a marketing campaign. This doesn't need to go to the, to, uh, the extent of, of asking people to vote on something they've already voted on. Um, so I think uh, I, I would have voted differently. I, I, we should proceed with developing time, place, and manner rules. And in fact, I don't know that Deschutes County staff even needs to do that. I was very disappointed when the Community Development Department came to the county commissioners and said, you know, we don't have the staff to do all the things that you have asked us to do. We need you to prioritize these. They gave them three things that were really taking up most of the staff's time. That was um, refining the rules around uh, accessory dwelling units um, to allow ADUs in the rural county, now that the state has said that we, we can do that. 
uh, updating the wildlife uh, inventory, um, particularly with mule deer, so that we can arrest the decline in population there by determining where they are migrating and, and protecting those lands. And the third was the time, place, and manner rules for psilocybin. And the county commissioners decided that they would make the wildlife inventory the lowest priority because they wanted to prioritize developing time, place, and manner rules for psilocybin, even though Hood River County and Wasco County are also developing time, place, and manner rules. And uh, as Commissioner Chang had, had pointed out, Deschutes County is often the leader and other counties are just waiting for us and adopting our rules. Well, with all of these competing priorities, why don't we just let Hood River and Wasco move forward with their time, place, and manner rules, and then we could adopt those because I'm sure they're going to come up with some good rules. Uh, and then meanwhile, we can move forward with the things that we really need to do here in Deschutes County. So uh, you'll be on the ballot as a Democrat. Your opponent will be on the ballot as a Republican, um, because right now these are partisan positions. Do you support, there's a ballot measure that will be on the ballot November 8th. Do you support making the county commission positions nonpartisan? Absolutely. And I signed the petition, and I even helped gather some signatures um, I find it interesting that now my opponent also says he supports it and signed the petition, even though at any point he and Commissioner Adair could have joined Commissioner Chang in referring this question to voters and saved the effort of League of Women Voters and other organizations and their volunteers from going out and collecting over 7,000 signatures during the pandemic, during the winter, um, the the volunteers who collected these signatures worked really hard to get this on the ballot. And our county commissioners could have saved them that trouble by referring it themselves. And in fact, last January, there was a conversation about this. Initially, they were looking at putting it on the ballot um, in November of 2021. But because there wasn't an uh, otherwise, there wasn't an election scheduled for November 2021, it would have been cost prohibitive. And at the time, Commissioner Chang had said, well, could we consider then putting this on the ballot in May of 2022 because there is an election um, and then it wouldn't cost us nearly so much to, to do this? And uh, Commissioner DeBone had said at the time, well, that is not the question on the agenda. This agenda item is a no action item. Maybe we'll talk about that another time. But they never did. They, they could have decided to move forward with putting this on the ballot themselves in May of this year or November of this year, but instead they left it to volunteers to go out and collect the necessary signatures to get it on the ballot. And that's uh, unfortunate. What else sets you apart from your opponent? I think there are a lot of things that Tony and I probably agree on, and I certainly hold him in high regard as an individual. I, I One thing that I'm very grateful for is that I think Tony and I both genuinely respect one another as people, and we like one another, but we definitely have differences of opinion and different values, and there are many things that set us apart. But I think one of the most glaring examples of uh, where Tony and I disagree is on uh, abortion rights. Um, I am proud to be endorsed by Pro-Choice Oregon. Tony is equally proud to be endorsed by uh, Right to Life of Oregon. 
And you wouldn't think that abortion would be a county issue, but the county commissioners, or rather Commissioner DeBone and Commissioner Adair, chose to make it a county issue when the um, Employee Benefits Committee for the county came to the county commissioners and asked them to update the county's health plan, so the employee health insurance. By state law, Oregon state law, uh, insurance, health insurance should cover abortion services. But the county's health plan um, has been around for many years, and so they were grandfathered in, and it currently doesn't cover abortion. Why that's important to me, uh, well, as a healthcare provider, I think conversations around family planning and reproductive health, they are private and they belong within the exam room to be had between patient and provider. And uh, the political views of the county commissioners really has no place in that conversation. But beyond that, I, I reflect on when my wife was pregnant with our second child and we received a phone call from the obstetrician after an early ultrasound um, telling us that there had been a concerning finding on that ultrasound and and it could be an early sign of a condition that is incompatible with life and we could confirm that with an amniocentesis. So the odds of this actually progressing to that uh, condition, they they gave, it was an oddly specific number, it was one in 257. But an amniocentesis carries a 1 in 200 chance of resulting in miscarriage. And my wife, uh, Amy, she, she knew that if, if, she, if, if it were found that, that um, what we expected and hoped to be our child, but at, at the time was a developing fetus, if that were to um, have a condition that is incompatible life, she would not want to carry that to term. It would be too traumatic. Um, but she also didn't want to risk what she thought, what, what we hoped would, was our, our baby. And so we decided to wait. But factored into that decision was the fact that we knew that um, even though she'd be well into the second trimester, she, uh, she would have the ability to terminate the pregnancy because it's protected in Oregon and it would be covered by insurance. And we, the county commissioners, um, denied that to their employees. And I don't think that's right. And I've also heard Tony say that he makes sure that the county health, insur- uh, the county health services staff know that they have two right to life commissioners on the board. And I think that that speaks to uh, a level of political interference and intimidation that is inappropriate. The county has a safety net reproductive health clinic. They don't perform abortions, obviously, but they have conversations with patients that are helping women make the choices that are right for them when it comes to planning their family and making their own reproductive health choices. And that shouldn't be influenced by the politics of the commissioners. So um, how can people get involved in your campaign? Well, I'd love for them to go to the website, see, uh, see what I'm all about. And, and if they like it, then please, uh, there's a contact form, generates an email that goes straight to me. And uh, depending on their skill set and their interest, 
some people have more money than time and donations are welcome. It helps us with our advertising campaign to get my message out there and let voters know about the choice that they have on this ballot. Um, it's an important it's an important position that touches the lives of Deschutes County residents in so many different ways. And um, and it's important that they make an educated decision on who they want we're representing them. So financial contributions are wonderful, but there's a lot of people who have time and they don't have money. And really, that's ultimately what's going to make the difference in this in this race is people willing to volunteer some of that time. And that could be volunteering in a canvas and knocking on doors and sharing the message, uh, my message, Morgan's message, uh, other candidates that uh, that I support um, and that support me and and helping people understand the importance of voting and voting all the way down their ballot and knocking indoors and talking directly to other voters is the most impactful thing anyone can do to help uh, the candidate that they're supporting. But we can write postcards. Um, we can, um, there's so many different ways, uh, even as simple as just requesting a free lawn sign and putting it out and letting your neighbors know that this is who you're supporting. So all of that can be done by just sending me an email, and I'm happy to have a conversation about how you can help. And that website is? OliverTatum.com. And uh, many people, <laughs> despite the fact that I designed my logo specifically to highlight the O in my last name, people still spell it because they're so, uh, misspell it because they're so accustomed to Tatum with a U. It is Oliver Tatum, T-A-T-O-M dot com. But I did reserve Oliver Tatum with a U dot com. So if people mistype it, they'll still end up at the right place. Um, is there anything uh, else that you would like to say to our listeners? Just that uh, I'm so happy that they're listening to you and engaging and um, and tuning in for important conversations like this. I think we we have a political system that really incentivizes the quick fix and the soundbite, and these issues are more complex than can be distilled down to the soundbite. So the fact that that you're willing to tune in, to sit down, to take the time to listen to a conversation like this and really get informed. Um, it's an important service that you're doing, not just for yourself, but for your community at large. And, uh, and I hope folks uh, take something away from this conversation and, and, uh, and then go have a conversation with somebody else about what they heard. Oliver Tatum, thank you so much for joining me here on the Radical Songbook Podcast. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure.